And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. We are down here in Monterey, Mexico. Steph and I are back to talk about all things CONCACAF W Championship, some NWSL stuff at the tail end of the pod. Um, yeah, basically, you know, things have been a little hectic, but we wanted to get at least one podcast in uh, down here in Mexico. But before we get to our conversation, I also just wanted to update you on a couple of NWSL notes and tidbits before we get the rest of the episode started. Obviously, there's a lot of news, a lot of soccer happening, really, uh, right at the moment. The big news that Pablo and I reported at The Athletic today is that multiple sources have told the two of us that DC will be hosting the NWSL championship this year. That's set for the weekend of October 28th. Now, again... Obviously, TV is going to be a factor here, so the East Coast does hopefully make that a little bit more favorable in terms of kickoff time for the game, but Audi Field is currently the plan as far as we know. I believe that that was improved as part of the NWSL Board of Governors, though it has not been officially announced by the league yet, but sources are telling us that we will all be taking a trip to the nation's capital later this fall. Now, of course, there's also some other news out of this Board of Governors meeting with the league sending a release and and giving some updates on improvements in broadcast, which we will talk about a little bit later on in the show. But also just some some updates. The big part is that they are going to implement VAR for the 2023 season. So some more investment, some better investment in officiating for the 2023 season. So hopefully this does maybe, hopefully, assuage some concerns about the quality of officiating the season, at least for next year moving in. Uh, The other interesting tidbit coming out of this in particular is the fact that the NWSL's headquarters are going to move from Chicago to New York City by the fall, they say that they are going to open the new office by September of 2022. So I guess they will be seeing a lot of me <laughs> around. All right. So here's Steph. Uh, we are in our respective hotel rooms recording this one on Wednesday ahead of match day for the semifinals in the CONCACAF W Championship on Thursday, July 14th, when you are hopefully listening to this. Wow, look at us in our in our t-shirts for this recording. Um, Steph, I mean, it's been a while since we have recorded a podcast and we are both currently in our hotel rooms in Monterey talking to each other, even though we just saw each other outside in person. Yeah. That that was a very Paul Rudd hot ones. Like, look at us. (laughs) Look at us. Who would have thought in Monterey? Look at us. In our respective. Yeah, I'm in my little Shohei Otani. I want people to know if if there's video. I'm not. There is. It's about Shohei. It's not about the angels. Yeah. I mean, you could always, like, show them in the back, because that's why oh, I was right. actually I mean, the one who bought you that t-shirt. So, yes. there we go. Now we've got it. So. All right. Well, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. We have lived through the group stage of CONCACAF W Championship. We have our four World Cup teams ready to go. We're waiting to see who's going to take that single Olympic spot. In one single word, how would you sum up our first, what, what they're ten, like, we're on 10 days of, of our time here in Mexico. Mm-hmm. There's an easy answer to this uh, question. It's two words and it's muy calor. <laughs> yeah. That is like one of the first new Spanish words that I learned when I got here, speaking very much kindergarten level Spanish, but I've been like studying every day. And muy, muy calor. Yeah. It has been 
Toasty, I know, you know, obviously we wrote our, our recap of the group stage, right? The big takeaways, but this has felt for all the changes, for all the talk about kind of all the new stuff around W championship, right? This has still felt like a very CONCACAF affair. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just, there's really no escaping it. And I think there are definitely, you know, we've seen group A, I think has completely lived up to the hype, right? Group B, maybe not so much, but group A has provided some, some real upsets. Obviously the big, we're going to talk a lot about Mexico just as much as we are. I think about any other team today, but you know, I think though the, like watching the vibes of the games in person, probably also, you know, watching them on television as well. Like it just feels still like CONCACAF. We have not, Really, the games are closer generally, mm-hmm. but they still mm-hmm. feel like yep. the calf. <laughs> um, do you think you need to include a little explainer for what feels like Concacaf means? It's it's like to... you can't even. It is just it's such a mood. I don't know. Like I feel like you have to like if we had like Concacaf bingo, maybe we could sum it up a little bit better. But like the weather yeah. has really been a factor, right? And and having gone and covered entire tournaments to even when it's in theory like cooler right like olympic mm-hmm. qualifiers the last time those were the last thing really right before covid hit right and that was january mm-hmm. into february i want to say in houston and then mm-hmm. la and yet somehow those still felt just like good old Concacaf sort of it, again it's like this mood of the game's quality just has this very strange feeling to it where you're never going to get beautiful soccer, no matter what you do, no matter where <laughs> the game is. And mm-hmm. you know, obviously having been to the friendlies in Denver and Salt Lake City, right? Like the U.S. specifically picked Columbia for those friendlies to try to get a sense of this team is going to prepare us specifically for the vibe of a CONCACAF game. That is what they got, right? A lot of talk about physicality, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, we the the first group stage game that challenged on Kelly O'Hara from from Rose Bordella, like where it got downgraded after VAR review to a yellow, like you can't describe CONCACAF maybe, but you know it as soon as you see it. Like that's that's the vibe. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Judge Learned Hand. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's not quite totally chaotic. There's like chaos in the mix. Yes. But there's something else, some je ne sais quoi. Yeah, it's like, like I mean, a lot of players have used the word grind when they've been in the mix yeah. on this tournament. And I think that feels yeah pretty accurate to the feel of it. But I do kind of, you know, I think I tried to dig into this a little bit in our group stage piece, but there has been the sense of like a lot of people are also watching other tournaments that are happening at this very same moment. And obviously euros is the big one. Mm-hmm. And there is kind of the sense of like, Oh wow. We are in a very different space than where euros are at. And I like, I just don't even want to almost put these tournaments in conversation with each other in the slightest, first of all, because they are doing two different things. This is a, a world cup qualifier, Olympic qualifying tournament which is very different than Euros, which is a standalone thing. Obviously, UEFA qualifiers are done over this very long period. We'll get into this, I'm sure, too, like affecting the next FIFA window as well still. But they're just so night and day. And that, like, to try to take what Euros looks like and some of the results, particularly in the Euros tournament, and then have them in conversation with what the U S women's national team is doing right at the moment feels mm-hmm. really hard to do it correctly. If that makes sense. I think you can put them in yeah. conversation, but like you have to put a lot of modifiers of first of all, the tournament was yeah. delayed by a year, right? Yeah. So that's a factor. It is going to benefit European teams that, are going to go on to the world cup to be playing in this tournament right now compared to the U S I think with CONCACAF, but also, I mean, I don't like, that's just a fact, 
it's just a fact of life right at the moment that the U.S. is I going through a, a very different tournament. Yeah, a team that's a team that's Euros ready is very different from a team that's Concacaf qualifiers ready. It's it's just different, and so I see, I do see some efforts trying to be like these teams look. Some of these teams look so sharp. Although I do want to add the caveat, like, do they look sharp, or did Norway <laughs> and Italy just look really bad? I want people to think about that. It is like, both, seriously, contemplate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They look good, but combined with those teams looking very muy mal. So yes, there's um, some comparison you can make, but you're right in that the type of preparation, the mentality that you need to have going into these two things, they're not directly comparable. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it just is kind of, I, I don't know. I think it's also something that has always been the case, right? Like the only real difference here is that we're seeing Euros the summer before the World Cup. And that is, again, pandemic related, right? But also every single team has been affected by the delay of the Olympics and adjusting the cycle around the traditional turnaround, right? Which is, I think, very much the thing that the U.S. women's national team is still, like, this is still the same conversation that we've been having basically since last summer of, okay, the cycle has been changed, right? And it's been changed for all of the teams that are that, that are making that same leap. But everybody's kind of in a similar boat. Yeah. <laughs> Whether tournament-wise or CONCACAF-wise, 104 degrees during the day-wise. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk W Championship. I mean, obviously, we've kind of been through some of this. But I do want to start with the U.S. Women's National Team, just because I think that is obviously uh, – what the listeners are are mostly here for, but I think also it has been really interesting to be kind of with the team for a while, right? Like obviously going to the friendlies and then coming down here to Mexico and having this sense that the team feels like they're at where they should be at. And then you go online and then it feels like a very different conversation is happening <laughs> and trying to reconcile right. those two things. But also understanding, you know, I was the one that asked Flacco and Danowski, okay, do you feel good about where the team is at overall in this two-year time mm-hmm. period that we've had between the Olympics performance, we're now halfway through 2023 World Cup. Do you feel like you are at where you should be at? And the answer is his version of, okay, are we going to play in a competitive World Cup tomorrow and be ready? No. Are we at where we should be at? Yes. Becky Sauerbrunn echoing that exact same point of just saying like, it is a transition period. It is a transition period. A lot of new combinations, a lot of not necessarily formation changes, but obviously we are seeing a little bit of tinkering in terms of, you know, double tens, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what the deal with the six is. Um, Center back pairings have been really up in the air with injuries. There's a lot. There's a lot of real possibility. Katarina Macario and Crystal Dunn may become available in, in time to, you know, join the team to prepare for the World Cup. Blacko Anonofsky flat out said that, yeah, Alex Morgan is doing well, but even if she really cements her position in that attacking role, he will have to find some kind of place for Kat Macario because you can't leave her off a roster. You just can't. And right. obviously she's flexible in where she can play on the field, whereas I think Alex Morgan's a little less flexible in how you can move her around and use her. So it pretty much sounds like he's like, yeah, whenever Kat Macario is healthy again, she's going to be back on the roster. You cannot leave her off. And then obviously Crystal Dunn, question mark, right? Tierna Davidson, question mark. Um, yeah. A big question mark, actually, because we saw three different center back pairings between Naomi Girma, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Alana Cook. And then if you add Tierna Davidson in there. Abby Dahlkemper, too. Nice problem to have. Right. Abby Dahlkemper. Maybe, although interestingly enough, like out of all the five that we just named, Abby Delcomber, I kind of just move her name to the bottom. I don't know if that's recency bias. I think it's a little bit recency bias because I haven't really seen her in the national right. environment as much recently because of that. But I do think maybe she hasn't, she's slipped in that ranking, not just because of injury or not being with the team, but because of a genuine preference for. 
Germa, Cook, Dar- Davidson. Yeah. I mean, I think Naomi Germa has been over the group stage, one of those names that has really, you know, we were struggling to name players with like best performances out of the group stage, just also mm-hmm. because consistency has been a real factor. You have this one very good game against Jamaica. You have, uh, an okay, I think now, like looking at the group stage as a whole, the opener against Haiti feels a lot better considering the rest of Haiti's mm-hmm. performances. Right. But obviously mm-hmm. that game against Mexico, it's not like USA, Australia in the Olympics bad during the group stage, but it also was not fun to watch from a US. No, talk about grind. That game felt like a grind right. in a lot of ways, not just because of heat and yeah. tiredness, but just, you know, lack of creativity, Idea. strategy, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But Naomi Gurma, I think over the Jamaica game and the Mexico game has really kind of proven, right? Like, I, I don't know if we mm-hmm. had a lot of questions about her, obviously seeing her play with the wave, right? Like there is the sense of like, yeah, okay, a rookie, right? Rookie, but mm-hmm. having the sense of this is a player who is ready to step onto the field and immediately kind of prove that there's not going to be a lot of questions. And that's really, I think, exactly what happened. But one of, I think, the really good parts of Naomi Gurma's performance over the the two games that we saw her in was just not just the defensive contributions, but you know, I think the the offensive contributions of a center back have have been kind of clear on the U.S. Women's National Team, and we immediately started seeing much much better quality of ball out of Gurma from the back line in terms of creating and starting the offense for the U.S. Yeah. And so I think in terms of like players who are looking at from a two to three game performance (laughs) standard, Gurm is really at the top of that list for me. But, you know, Casey Murphy also was a, was a player that I think now has gotten a couple games under her belt and not necessarily a lot Mm -hmm. to do, but it is, it, I think this is a really, there's both a lot to talk about with the U S women's national team. And yet there's also somehow like, we're still kind of in that same central conversation of the project that spans two years mm-hmm. where, where we are halfway and there is a sense mm-hmm. of like, you know, it's going somewhere, but also it's really hard to talk about like what it's going to look like as a finished product because it's not there. Yeah. I mean, Blacko, speaking of Casey Murphy, we're recording on match day minus one, the day before semifinals, and he was asked about the goalkeeper situation because they did bring Aubrey Kingsbury, who I think has been doing pretty well, and he said, like, the goalkeeper decision is still somewhat up in the air. You know, obviously there is still Olympic qualifying to go for, so it's not like the game loses all meaning now that they've qualified for the World Cup. Um, maybe a little uh, pressure is off. So yeah, Casey Murphy's gotten two games. Listen, Nair's gotten one game. So for the semifinals, which is a knockout game, again, question, do you put in a cold keeper? Like, how do you balance the rest element versus someone who's more warmed up? They're playing Costa Rica, which could be maybe their biggest challenge yet so far in this tournament. We thought it might be Mexico, and then Mexico kind of was like, Mexico was a good Don't. defensive challenge, I think. Yes, but, yes, yes, yes. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of now you're moving into a knockout stage, but now I think what has been really interesting, especially in, in the case of the goalkeepers, is that Blacko and Danofsky really did mention what happened in the Olympics, right? Where you have an injury and then your hand gets forced, right? And so yeah. A, at first he kind of made it seem like we want Casey Murphy to at least get one game. So that way she's, she's had a game in case something happens. But now I think the question Mm -hmm. becomes, can you really get someone like Casey Murphy meaningful knockout experience ahead of a world cup? Like this is actually a really interesting test of, are they going to go all in on goalkeeper development in a way that this team has historically been so bad at, right? Like, do you mm-hmm. trust Casey Murphy enough for two mm-hmm. knockout games and potentially really get her some big crucial experience? I vote yes. The goalkeeper pool is one that has done one of the biggest flip-flops from like so stagnant to like so many options. Right. I mean, you still got 80 French somewhere out there, no commenting on <laughs> the the national team situation when I talked to her in KC and 
you know, it was interesting because Vlaco talked about in the Mexico game how it was such good experience because they noticed that the performance actually did drop correlated to the hostility of the crowd. It was a really good crowd. It was announced they sold tickets of like 22,000 something. I don't think attendance was quite that high, it but was it 20, sounded like 22,000. Two. Yeah, it was definitely the best yeah, crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm interested in that. How is that audience going to translate to USA, Costa Rica? Are Mexican fans going to come to that and be like, okay, anybody but the United States? Costa Rican fans have also traveled. I've seen quite a number of them, you know, waiting outside the gates and stuff at game day and in the stands. So could be another great opportunity for a knockout round game once again under maybe slightly less hostile conditions. But yeah, that Mexico game, at least mentally, was really great experience for everyone involved so maybe you're right in that Casey Murphy is someone you you want to keep like slowly lowering into the fish tank (laughs) the the boiling water is just like we're not at boiling yet but we're just raising the temperature slightly each time I mean I think it was a really interesting pick to go with Casey Murphy for a Mexico game right like that was kind of I think always thought to be the showcase game for the group stage, right? right? It's obviously been the one that we've seen a lot of on on TV here. Like that was obviously the big game that Mexico was anticipating as well. And so to trust Casey Murphy in the game, also against just honestly like the highest ranked team in the group, that to me is a good sign in terms of right. development. And that that I think has been, I don't know, it's been something that has bothered me for a very long time just because so much of this has always been you have this goalkeeping pool and then you have one person who's like way out in front in terms of caps. And then in theory, at some point, you know, you have a transition to make, right? And it's not that Alyssa Nayer might not be in the picture for 2023, because I think very much she would be right. Unless something goes very sideways, but there is, I think maybe now, I, I feel like we've had a couple conversations in Slack, like with editors, right. Where I've been like, you could go, like you could start building Casey Murphy now for 2023, but also maybe have that kind of generational goalkeeper who's going to be that player that you just get to rely on for multiple tournaments in a row, which we haven't really had since Hope Solo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mm-hmm. I also want to add, like, that Mexico game, it wasn't just the atmosphere, but you're playing the highest-ranked other team, like, in your group that is also kind of, like, desperate to win. It was last-chance saloon, right? Not to quote Ian Dark or anything, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> they knew they had to do it or they were out for a second World Cup cycle in a row. Like, oy, oy, oy. All of my friends in, like, the Mexican press the day after – we're just like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I was like, that's fair. I'm so sorry. I even like, just go home, take the day off, you know? But like yeah. the the team, Mexico had some chances in there. They were- They got better after the red card. <laughs> they got better. They they weren't turtling. They were sometimes trying to go, go for it. They were trying to put three players on our back line a lot of the time in order to get in there. And Casey Murphy sometimes did have to deal with some chaotic situations- up there like to defend out and like restart and cycle out so in that sense it was even yeah it was all good it wasn't just like hostile atmosphere like actual in-game like right, there was some right. good yeah, stuff, the stuff there that too. you can't necessarily duplicate in training right where it's just really you yeah. need to have these these players get minutes and also 
one of the questions today for Andonovsky in the match day minus one availability was, was about kind of like trusting these players to, well, that was your question, right? Like trusting these players to, yeah, yeah. to suffer through game day stuff and like get that experience right. just because you can't like for as much, I think angst and worry there is about the quality of opponent that the U S has played so far in 2022, which to be fair, I think is a very valid situation not entirely within the federation's control but still not a great not a great overall like just looking at fifa rankings <laughs> for the year so far but at the same time this is still a world cup qualifying tournament and this is still a situation that you cannot duplicate via friendly or trading yeah I thought it was so interesting that Vlatko talked about how after the first game, he kind of reassured Sophia Smith. Like, I think a lot of us look at Sophia Smith and like, oh yeah, she's clearly been probably one of the best players in the tournament, but she's 21 years old. And so like maybe the coaching staff realizing, you know, yes, she's, she's not necessarily a newcomer because they've been trying to integrate her into the team for such a long time. But at the same time, she's also 21 and, kind of does need that like hey don't worry about the results so much like yes we do have to worry about those but like we need you to focus more on like the process side you know keeping them in a good headspace so they keep performing without like all this anxiety but balancing that against like just throwing them out there and be like okay go in (laughs) which was kind of like the message that I got when they were pairing Cook and Girma where it's like Becky Sauerbrunn's not here to save you Right. You guys are it. You're the adults. Yeah. Like, go do your taxes on your own. You're off your parents' health insurance. You've got to schedule your own doctor's appointments. Don't use TurboTax. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, overall, I don't know. I think there is this kind of sense of, like, a lot of people are, are hitting a panic button of where the U.S. looks like they're at, where they feel like they're at. And again, I, I don't know. I think that is so much of the difficulty of both talking about this team, but also trying to cover this team is that we're still only seeing 10%, right, of everything that happens. And we were mm-hmm. talking about it in the car on the way back from USA Mexico of Vlako Andonovsky, obviously, first of all, like the pressure of that job is unlike really most other coaching jobs, right? The expectations are mm-hmm. stupid. Um Everyone is expecting perfection and there are always going to be thoughts about who's on a roster, who's on the starting 11, all of that kind of stuff. Right. And like you go into that job knowing exactly what you're getting into on the flip side. I do think it is a fair criticism of like, where is the coach that we saw in NWSL? Right. And, and so much of that too is international soccer is not the NWSL. And it is a very different role. But at the same time, you know, we were talking about USA Mexico, right? Where was the creativity? Where, like, where are the ideas right now? And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, been so much of this conversation where I don't know how many times Vlako Andonovsky has been asked about finishing since the Olympics, basically. Even before, maybe. But, like, in the COVID era... (laughs) How many times has finishing come up as this topic of, are you worried about finishing, right? right? Like you do have this kind of like generational wave of talent coming through, especially in the front six, right? And that we haven't seen that translation of talent into like almost sheer complete terror for other teams on the field. Jamaica Mm -hmm. is that kind of one standout game of like, oh, Sophia Smith pops off. And is and is enabled to pop off in a game. Mm-hmm. Where like is it the coaching disconnect where that's not happening on a regular basis? Is it the fact that the team is still in this transitional phase? Obviously, like we've heard the words evaluation mm-hmm. so much <laughs> again in the post Olympics era, but like when maybe is that shift from whatever stage of like, there's gotta be a plan, right? Like you have this two year period between Olympics and world cup, you know, the turnaround is different. You've got qualifiers. So if you're halfway through this process, like when does it turn into 
less evaluation and more mm-hmm. into now we are really building this team for 2023. When does this team look like a cohesive team that we expect a team to look like ahead of 2023? And maybe it's now that the qualification has happened and that's the first project coming out of W Championship. That feels, it feels to me like the switchover has happened. I feel like we've switched out of evaluation period. I think the this the, this qualifying roster is what helped kind of like finally push it a little bit more over into the, all right, now we're going to have to try and figure out what the best group is going to be for 2023. There may still be some evaluation going on, but we're now moving into the, we got to solidify and then we got to give them some time to play together in some games and stuff. I mean, you talked about like not striking necessarily terror into the hearts of other teams, but we certainly have the tools to get there between Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman. I think once Kat Macario is back and looking healthy, that's going to be a big part of it. If Mal Pugh can like find a little bit more steadiness, maybe that would, you know, help Alex Morgan, you know, obviously she's kind of back in her rhythm. That's always like a terrifying thing. And then maybe Mitch Purse, you throw in there as well. Like, there were times against Mexico where Midge was just like, okay, maybe the whole attack wasn't clicking, but individually Midge Purse was just like, yeah, she, Bye, she really, and then yeah. like went into space. And yeah. yeah. But you know, the fullback was just like, you know, if I had been playing that position, I would have looked at the bench and been like, what do you expect me to do about this? I am like a Fiat and she is a Ferrari. <laughs> like, Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about the rest of Group A first. Mexico is obviously, you know, it's almost kind of like you have Jamaica, right? This really, I think when the groups were announced, everyone got so concerned for Jamaica, not because like there were doubts, but it's just like Jamaica felt like the team where it's like, oh, this is so, we want them back in a World Cup, right? They feel like a team that that really should be in the World Cup. And then they get put in this group and we're a little concerned. And so for all the good stuff that has happened around Jamaica and Haiti, Haiti, obviously having like, I mean, yes, they're going to the intercontinental playoff, but like such, such a good (laughs) group stage. And then for all these good stories, you then have Mexico where it's been so interesting to be here in person, kind of watching this like slow collapse of a project and a head coach and a team and a Mm -hmm. roster. And it has been, I mean, we were both in that press conference room after USA Mexico. And what I think was really interesting for us to, to find out is that Mm -hmm. our impression of the press conference was so different than local press Mm -hmm. press that follows Mexico. Because for us, like obviously we're not catching every single word though. It was pretty easy to, to, get a lot of what she was saying the sense of like a i'm owning it but b like regardless of this performance you cannot give up on this overall project on the next generation of talent on this concept of women's football in mexico like right, the thing it reminded me of like, is yeah, everything is marta after in the 2019 world cup with that like plea to mm-hmm. the cameras right like that was the vibe for for me in that room and then like you go on twitter First of all, everything is just <laughs> Fuera Monica <laughs> Vergara. But secondly, there is this sense of like, she's not taking responsibility. And I was just like, that is not the vibe that I have. Right. Like, she literally in. said, like, I take total responsibility a bunch of times, I think. But yeah, I thought it was interesting, the divide between us, the the um, the American, the English-speaking reporting core. And so I was wondering if there was something that we weren't picking up like as non-native Spanish speakers and like looking at the translation and just hearing her tone of voice in the moment that the the Mexican reporting core could like, they could feel the vibe because, it, you know, they're native speakers and they understand the right. contextual situation a lot more. I mean, we should say today, again, match day minus one, uh, they had, the Mexican Federation had a, um, a press conference and Yonda Luisa said that they're, you know, letting go of a bunch of people, but not Monica Vergara just yet. Like, she's going to be evaluated. They're going to hire someone to oversee, like, the men's program and one to hire, like, oversee the women's program. And, like, that's where her evaluation is going to come from. Right. And I was like, 
That's interesting. I mean, I guess the, the question uh, is like, you know, they've had coaches in this program who have been around a really long time, despite underperformance from the team. Right. And I do think that there was a sense of like Monica Vergara came out of this program. Right. Like I think mm -hmm. it is a choice that you want to succeed as technical director, as head coach, right? Like it's someone who comes out of the program, knows the program they've invested in from a coaching point of view. And there was so much more investment. Obviously the, the rise of the professional game here as well has been, I think like a huge momentum swing in the right direction. And then to have the mm -hmm. results of this group stage, I think has just kind of felt like their legs have been swept out from under them. But I guess the, the bigger question is, is does firing Vergara solve a problem or does it potentially just set you even further back when you're trying to like start from scratch again? Like how much of it really is on her shoulders? I it's, there's yeah. absolutely some responsibility for her, but like, is that going to solve every problem? I don't, think it does yeah I mean yeah I I know people who are like I wish she hadn't like essentially tried to fall on her sword so much because for the all indications like you you look at the firings that happened today like there's more issues going on with the overall like soccer program football program sorry at you know, in Mexico than just the the women's team. And right. so they didn't want to see her shouldering the brunt of all the blame for like everything that's going wrong with the women's team and, and like saying, Oh, once she's out, everything will be fine because it seems like there is, there are like deeper issues going on across both men's and women's teams. And so, yeah, it, it sounds like the Federation is like, yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and obviously so. you have the, the men's world cup coming up and there is also, I think, a lot of pressure here, too, just with 2026. You know, we're we're yeah. actually in a host city for the 2026 World Cup right now. So I think there is kind of this sense of, okay, mm -hmm. we have this larger project that is that is in the works on the men's side, too. But, you know, what I think is really interesting is just also having written about the, the new tournament game one-off situation with Angel City, right? Like, there was this real push of, okay here's the plan. We're qualifying for the world cup on the women's side, right? Like we're going to, we're going to rise from the ashes of 20, 2019. We're going to qualify for 2023. And then we really get to push the women's team in the U S the, uh, some, the same way that we have the men's where they go on tour in the U S and play in the U S and we can finally start to build the fan base around this team. And mm -hmm. with this result, like, you just really have to hope that all that momentum does not get lost because legitimately the person I talked to from FMF for that story got fired today. So you have to hope that there are stakeholders within the Federation who are still going to look and say, okay, 2019, 2023, right? Like, yes, world cups are now off the table. That does not negate the work of building the team, building the brand building the actual results and the technical side of the program. And honestly, I think more than ever now, it is important to try to get additional support, especially in the U S for, for Mexico, just because it's going to help actually still push that momentum moving forward. Well, you mentioned the momentum swing and the good thing is it's not all on the Federation because they do have Liga MX Feminile and this is probably like a little spoiler because we haven't sent out the article yet but I did talk to Mariana Gutierrez who's the director of the league and she talked about how even in the past five years you know the league's what entering season year seven they've they played year six um you know, even in about five, five, six years, she's seen a huge shift in attitudes where, because the structure of the league is each men's team in Liga MX is required to have a professional women's team as well. And in the beginning, the attitude was kind of like, God, this is an extra expenditure. It's, you know, money I have to spend on something else, not my men's senior team. And it shifted to this is an investment that I can use to make money and gain fans for the club. It's like a part of our business now. It's an investment, not an expenditure. And so I think, like, if you want to look for hope, you can you can look there, definitely. This is a league that has gone from, like, they've been so 
from my point of view, they've been pretty meticulous about building it out, right? Because initially, yep. it's a U23. Uh, all the players are required to be Mexican-born nationals as well. They, I don't think they even allow dual nationals at the very beginning. And now they've transitioned to, like, allowing some international players. Salaries have gone up a bit. They got Jenny Hermoso from Spain yep. over here. Me, Obviously, yeah, the official, official right? is probably the name a lot yeah. of Americans are going to recognize for Tigres. So, you know, I I think, like... You know, in Vergara's plea, like she did, she mentioned the league as well. And it's like, yeah, I think if you want things to, if you're trying to get out of that bleak headspace, that is one place you can look to and be like, development is not going to stop in this country because that league has been building something and they're trying to head for like long term sustainability. So I think that's really interesting to keep your eye on. And apparently they've got some improved broadcast deals maybe coming up. So Access in the I mean, US what could be, be really interesting, though, is as a test case, if the professional league becomes a much bigger driving force for the growth of the game compared to the national team, like that's such a reverse of what we have typically seen, right? So I think it could be a really interesting cycle coming up for Mexico of does the league kind of get more power and like more like in the in the ecosystem of, of Mexican women's football i mean it might be honestly really interesting to watch just because i mean you think about nwsl and the u.s women's national team and the headbutting well apparently there's a little element of that already going on because obviously soccer is queen in in mexico right mariana said it outright football is religion here um like that's verbatim from her and i think a (laughs) lot of people honestly it's not like a new sentiment um but the Mexican women's national team doesn't get to play at home very often either. The Federation just isn't arranging the games, or if they play, maybe they're coming to the United States. And so that's another reason why this tournament was so big. They're the hosts. They're the home nation. It was a chance for them to get to play at home as well. Whereas Liga MX Femenil, every Monday, you know, you can go see your team and people form closer attachments to Tigres or Rayadas or, you know, Pachuca or, or whatever it is. So there is an element there of, like, Fans are maybe more attached because they have more chances to get attached to their club team. Like, you compare how often the United States women tour around the country just playing friendlies in cities all over the place compared to most other nations. You're like, oh, yeah, it's like a much bigger marketing arm, bigger marketing tool going on there. Yeah. All right, let's turn to Group B. I will basically hand it over to you to walk us through (laughs) Canada. Um, for full disclosure, I made stuff take off a Canada t-shirt before we recorded the podcast, <laughs> but yes, I mean, Canada, like group B, we've said it a bunch, like group B has been uh-huh. way more straightforward in terms of playing out yep. exactly how everybody anticipated it would play out. But, you know, I think first let's talk about Costa Rica, maybe actually, because I think there okay. were some concerns about Costa Rica heading into this tournament and Costa Rica has come mm-hmm. in and been like, no, nah, we're good we're fine. Like Raquel Rodriguez is like, hello, thank you. I've got it. We'll be okay. Yeah. 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 They, they looked a little shaky coming in. I think there was a game against Jamaica where like Jamaica really just kept them pressed back. And so they were probably glad not to be drawn into the same group again, or maybe they were looking forward to revenge. I don't know, but obviously they had that first game against Panama three, nothing, you know, they scored some decent goals early on. I think Rocky broke it open in like seven, six minutes, something like that. And then, you know, I, I think they, they looked okay. Rocky is obviously a huge part of that. Um, she's kind of in a more advanced position for Costa Rica than U.S. fans might be expecting to see from her. She has a little bit more to do. She's carrying a little bit more weight for Costa Rica, but you might expect that as well just because – you know, compared to her club team, there's maybe she just has to shoulder, you know, a larger proportion of, of that, of that like goal scoring burden and she's doing it. Yeah. I think, but for the kind of like the shaky start, if you had just kind of looked at the teams and been like, yeah, it probably should be Canada one, Costa Rica two, just based on historical performance. Um, and that is how it ended up shaking out. And the actual question mark ended up being um, for that third place, uh, standing between Panama and Trinidad and Tobago, and Panama pretty 
I don't want to say definitively answered it, but maybe I do. Like, yeah, I they, mean, I think Panama was the clear, clear third place team in Group B. I mean, yeah, the, obviously Group A coming down to the final match between Jamaica and Haiti, and then Jamaica getting that that four nil scoreline. Like, I think that maybe <laughs> solved some some questions about where where things should shake out in great group a but what i think is really interesting about haiti and panama now heading to this new intercontinental playoff is now we're gonna i think maybe get to see a little bit more of the relative strengths of confederations Mm -hmm. like this is going to be the really interesting thing of like i feel really really good about haiti's chances going into that tournament i don't Mm -hmm. know how i feel about panama's chances going into that tournament i think that's a fair assessment yep like Haiti, Panama. I'm just like you could roll in there and just be like, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> yeah, like that would be amazing. Um, you know, Melchi Dumorne maybe just kind of lighting it up. Panama, yeah. I think it's fair to say like, yeah, I could see them maybe getting some gritty results, but maybe not doing enough to actually like win enough games to bag one of those three final spots yeah it's, it's also like the tournament teams. setup is kind of interesting in that I'm, I'm pretty sure you have to win your group in order to get one of those final three spots so it's there's three groups of teams in a way mm-hmm. that does not make sense to me because there's also 10 teams like it's a i <laughs> i have tried to make sense <laughs> of the intercontinent and i'm like you know what it's in february i know who's qualified for it we'll we'll get there when we get there but I right. will say, like, Hades, I, I feel really good about Hades' chances. Panama, after watching them in this tournament, I'm kind of like, it might be a little bit of an uphill climb, but it also depends on the other teams that are that are in the mix. Yeah. I also want to add, like, I'm glad you talked about me wearing the Canada shirt earlier so people understand where I'm coming from when I talk about that Canada-Panama game where Canada, like, squeaked out with a one nothing result. And then afterwards... Beth Priestman, Christine Sinclair, the other players, I think Janine Becky came through the mix zone. They were like, yeah, Panama made it physical. They were, it was very CONCACAF-y, like, you know, kudos to them for frustrating us with all the time wasting. And I'm like, but it was also kind of on you guys to score against a team that you could clearly dominate. Like, yes, they chopped it up. They, they tried to make it as, like, discombobulating as possible. But, like, you knew they were going to do that. It's on you to like not have to rely on baby Julia Grosso to score <laughs> in the second half and then like squeak it out for the rest yeah. of the game. I mean, what what is fun is like Canada, I think maybe has, they've had expectations within CONCACAF, right? But now I think the expectations are higher for mm-hmm. them to be, to be turning out performances that don't have big question marks around them the same way. The U.S., right? The U.S. is expected to come to this qualifying. Uh, to be fair, we're not watching the U.S. broadcast of these games, but, like, that seems mm-hmm. to be the vibe of what the U.S. broadcast is saying is, like, U.S. should come in and roll over these teams, and that's what the expectation is. But Canada is now maybe getting some of that, too. You you win a, a gold medal, and the expectations, <laughs> they go up. They go up. And you should be beating that, yeah. Panama in a way that, that shows the quality of your team and yeah, I mean, I think it has been kind of an interesting, like a lot of things can be true where you expect things out of the top two ranked teams, right? Like the expectation for CONCACAF is always going to be USA Canada in the final, at least for the time being. Right. But also I think we have seen the quality get there and, and maybe the W championship as a, as a product hasn't felt quite different but I think also the lead-in to the actual W championship where you have these groups of teams playing you're getting more games for nations that don't play a lot like that's actually the better work of CONCACAF right now than W championship as a thing yeah I guess you're right in that you know the quote was like we want to change the color of the medal and they did (laughs) And now they have all these expectations, but they're still the team. It's exposing that in the Olympics, it was a combo of like, they lucked their way to some results. They defended like their lives depended on it. I do want to give credit to like 
excellent, like, hard nose defending. And then Stephanie LeBay <laughs> had, like, the tournament of her life. Honestly, she was playing in blocking penalty shots. Like, someone told her, like, for every penalty you block, you're going to save someone's life. And she was <laughs> like, I gotta, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, and so people now are trying to be like, well, this is a team that should be able to score. I'm like, it's not noticeably different from that Olympic team. It's probably kind of the same team, the same strength as in they can defend you out to a one nothing or maybe a 2-1 result or something like that. And if they win this CONCACAF W championship, I think that's how they're going to do it. They're not, Jesse Fleming is not going to decide like, I'm sick of all this, you know, (laughs) (laughs) here we go. What is wait? So, I have I have a question. Is Canada secretly the ultimate Concacaf team? Yes. <laughs> yes. They're out here being like, yeah, they they're time wasting and blah blah blah. But you might be right. Canada, like, it's a Spider Man pointing meme where it's like, <laughs> Canada is the ultimate Concacaf team. I mean, so but that on- combination. Yeah, a little bit chaos, yeah. a little bit grit, a little bit something. Like we'll defend the shit out of you. Yeah, like that. I think I think we have now solved it. Canada really is. Wow, the ultimate wow. Concacaf team. We I say feel it like with I'm, love and maybe a yeah. little bit of insult. Yeah, I, it's it's that gif of like anyone trying to solve math with all the formulas <laughs> flying past us, and then we arrived at like Canada is the Concacaf team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, but that they take CONCACAF energy into other international tournaments, I think, especially the Olympics, like the Olympics performance is like, oh, no, we're just going to CONCACAF our way through this. Wow, the ultimate CONCACAF merchant. Wow, please don't beat me up, Christine Sinclair. All right, let's let's do some quick other hits now that we have we have come up with the best Concacaf assessment of our lives. Um, NWSL, we're kind of watching it <laughs> here, um, but obviously the news today that Pablo and I reported around NWSL Championship heading to DC. There is there was a board meeting this week. Some stuff is coming out of that. Um, at some point, probably before I actually finish up this podcast so we're gonna pretend like we know what's happening but NWSL I think we've had a couple interesting conversations while we've been in Mexico just about like state of the NWSL but I think (laughs) what I do want to talk to you about is just the fact that the games are being played right now Uh (laughs) trying to wrap our arms around covering everything very hard but I also think like you know, you have this big Angel City result over San Diego in front of a sold-out mm-hmm. bank again, and that game is not on television. That game is not featuring some some big key player, right? Alex Morgan is not in that game for San Diego. Um, again, it just like I, I feel like maybe we're we're beating a dead horse with with NWSL schedule stuff, but like it's one thing to know like it's incoming and then it's one thing to see it and just have this kind of like crazy wave of euros, CONCACAF, uh, AFCON, like Comnibal, like we have all this international soccer we knew was coming. NWSL is just, Ooh, they're trying real hard. And it's so Mm -hmm. disappointing to then you have Laura Harvey out here after the OL rain game against Portland being like, why? Like, that game was on Twitch. <laughs> Speaking of AFCON, real quick, shout out to Zambia for qualifying um, with a shootout win over Senegal. So, without exciting. Barbara Banda, I know, is a whole uh, other conversation. That's a whole other episode on its own. Just know that we're God. really mad. Just know, like the, it's bad. It's at, bad. Yes. It's terrible. But hopefully, I know, like. like FIFA was trying to potentially, yes. potentially, so like I feel good about 2023 for Zambia yeah. and and Banda being a part of that team, but like mm, it's bad. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like just put a specific name to it. We are mad at the misogyny and racism on display that's being used to police Barbara Banda's body along with yeah. other players. But yeah, another episode. Um. 
Yeah, I just, it, I think it is frustrating of like feeling like there was, I don't know, the end of Busel has kind of been, I think, in this weird space this season where some things are going well. Obviously, you know, still have open investigations. Like, it just, the vibes have felt very strange in 2022, I think. Mm, yeah. It's so sad that you can be like open investigation and you have to be like, you're going to have to be more specific. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, there's like, there's so many open investigations, although really all of the NWSL ones go like roll uphill into the overall yeah. joint inv- investigation between the NWSL and the NWSL PA. But, you know, I think expansion has been obviously this big story, right? So like, I, I think we're still kind of in that same space of NWSL, like, Certain things are going well. All of these other things are on fire in the very specific way that they tend to be on fire in the NWSL where, I mean, the, the art, but make it sports tweet about the Twitch stream being this abstract painting, I think summed that one up perfectly, right. Of just at some point, (laughs) at some point, a lot of these things just have to get solved and yeah, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances and all the stuff around it, but I think it is really frustrating to kind of be in this moment where world cup qualifiers are happening, euros are happening. And then NWSL has just kind of stayed in the space where it's spinning its wheels, spinning its wheels, spinning its wheels. Mm-hmm. What's going to finally, you know, get it moving. That's another job like Flacco's where with Jessica Berman, I'm like, I don't know that you could put a a money amount on this that would make it worth it for me. It could be some absurd number and, and even for like one year I'd be like I I would rather live like I'd rather no peace than make 10 million dollars <laughs> doing this job for a year. Yeah. Yeah. It would it, it would not... honestly have to be a farcical amount of money to convince me to do this job for a year. Also well, like, also just because like commissioner be for it but yeah, but also like again, I think you know, we're waiting for the the board of governors news update, right? And mm-hmm. so you have there's still that that power struggle thing happening of you have a commissioner who reports to the board of governors who are going to make all of these decisions, right? And like these are all still a lot of the same people, though it has been, I will say, honestly, very amusing to watch Alexis Ohanian of <laughs> Angel City be like, I had to make a thousand dollar donation to Planned Parenthood because I was cursing in the Board of Governors meeting about player safety. Like, I would like to see it. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that I want to watch, but never have to deal with personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100% agree. All right, so we are <clears throat> posting this the day of semifinals. I think we might at some point do a live room on the athletics. So if you have questions for us, start mm-hmm. start thinking about them. We, I think, have honestly not been very good at posting tacos as we eat them. But please know that we have eaten a lot of tacos while yes. here. Um so yeah, just a quick no. shout out to like the taco stands at Estudio Universitario where there's just like stadium tacos, right? I think it's like maybe local businesses, but like five or a hundred pesos. It was some of the best tacos I've had so far. Also the, we got street food the other day where they open up oh. a bag of chips and then just shovel fresh corn and like fresh crema cheese and, yeah. and crema. And it was just like, it was 45 pesos <laughs> for that bag of street food. And it was, it was well, also the, good it hotter was. than the surface of the sun. Yeah. It was like over a hundred degrees that day in the sun. And we were both still willing to shovel like freshly boiled corn into our mouths. It was so good. All right, Steph, we will call it there. And we will be out in the sun tomorrow for one more round at El Volcan. 
All right. Thank you to Steph, as always, for the time. We will let you know, of course, on Twitter when we do uh, a live hangout on The Athletic, but we'll have live blogs for the semifinal games and the final, of course. So we'll keep you in the loop from all things CONCACAF W Championship. And then we go home for a few days and then we go to London for the tail end of Euro. So it's, it's a very hectic July on this front. All right. For all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information. If you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash fulltime. It is always one of our very best deals. Again, also, if you you did miss the news, there are now certain uh, platforms of the New York Times, obviously with The Athletic becoming a part of the New York Times, but if you are a New York Times subscriber, you might now get access to The Athletic if you subscribe. Uh, actually, our, our story on the W Championship was on the New York Times homepage on Wednesday, so it's definitely a fun and interesting time on that front. All right, my name is Meg Linehan. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. We will try to be better about posting tacos full-time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer michael zimmerman from the athletic i'm meg thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon again hopefully hopefully